Turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis, chapter 3. This is an easy one to find. Amen. Shouldn't take long. Genesis, chapter 3. We're going to read the first seven verses to get us started. Genesis, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, And he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God, that as I preach this morning, your word would go forth in power. God, deal with hearts. If there's any here that have never truly been born again, May they clearly see their need for the Son of God that they may turn to Christ and be saved. I pray for believers today. Oh, the mistakes that we make in in our lives that not only impact us, but impact many people around us. So Lord, keep us, I pray, from making those same mistakes, which is why you wrote the things in the scripture that you did. Have your way in every life and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've talked to many people about the scripture and about the way of salvation, I'm sure you've had somebody along the line that has said something like this to you. Everyone knows that there are mistakes in the Bible. Now, whenever I hear that, I always say, I get out my New Testament and I say, here, show me one. They've never seen one. They've just been told that because it makes it sound like then they don't have to worry about what God says in the Bible if there are mistakes with the Bible. Now, I don't know if you've looked for some or not, but let me say up front, there are absolutely no historical mistakes in the Bible. There are absolutely no scientific mistakes in the Bible. You see, there are no mistakes with the text And there are no contradictions with the text as well. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Now, you get to some of these networks like Discovery or some of the shows where they'll put on something about the Bible. You can always count on them to get it wrong. As a matter of fact, there's a well-known explorer on TV by the name of Josh Gates who who looks for the mysterious and uh, not necessarily the occult or anything like that. And every once in a while, he'll do a Bible program or something about the Bible. Not too long ago, he did one on, uh, on Moses. 
And you know, something that you find out, whether it be him or whether it be the people at Biography or the History Channel or whatever, it seems like they believe everything that every liberal or Bible-rejecting person says as though it's a fact. And since the Bible doesn't meet their standard, therefore it must be wrong. Now, this guy may be very smart and he may be very brave with all the explorations that he does. But when it comes to spiritual things, he doesn't have a clue. He misses it every time. Now, the reality is, and don't get upset when I first say it, you'll understand it. There are mistakes in the Bible. As a matter of fact, we read some right here. You say, what do you mean mistakes in the Bible? I didn't say mistakes with the Bible. I said there are mistakes in the Bible. What do you mean? We just read about Eve making a dramatic mistake. We find a lot of people that made mistakes that are accurately recorded for us in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, turn with me for just a moment over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, everything God recorded about what took place that day between the serpent and Eve and with Adam as well is recorded accurately. It's exactly what happened, just like God said. But they made some tremendous mistakes that you and I are still having to deal with today. And we're going to cover some of those things as well as other mistakes that people made. But I want you to notice, for instance, the scripture says, beginning in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now notice, now these things were our examples. To the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed as serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed a destroyer. Now notice, now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written, notice, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. The truth is there were a lot of things that not just Adam and Eve, but many other people did wrong in the scripture. God didn't have, he didn't tell us by the way about everything that everybody did. Can you imagine how many books it would take to tell us about everything that everybody did from the creation of man right on through. He doesn't tell us everything, but everything that he's told us is for our admonition so that we would learn from their mistakes and not repeat their mistakes whether it be immorality, whether it be uh, lusting after certain things, whether it be idolatry, whether it be murmuring, whether it be tempting Christ or whatever it is, God accurately recorded those things for us so that we would not do the things that they did. That's what that's about. So let me just cover a few mistakes in the Scripture 
Here's one when we see it with Adam and Eve, and boy, it's a doozy. Now, she started out, her first mistake was this. Her first mistake was listening to the devil. You say she wasn't listening to the devil. She was listening to the serpent. Well, who do you think was in the serpent? I mean, really, if a snake rolled or slithered up to you and started talking... I'm pretty sure that your imagination would begin working. You know, this isn't normal. Snakes don't talk. That's what always made the story about Little Red Riding Hood so silly. I mean, poor this girl, she needed glasses. She couldn't recognize the difference between a wolf in drag and her grandmother. Well, right here, you've, you've got the snake talking she said whoa this isn't right it should have stopped her right there now after what he said the very first words out of his yea hath God said he right away began to cast doubt on God's word and he cast doubt on God's goodness and whenever the devil or one of his minions begin to cast doubt on thus saith the Lord or cast doubt on God and on the goodness of God, you ought to say, well, that's it. I'm done listening. No more. But she didn't do that. She decided to carry on a conversation with him. Not only that, she was making a decision by sight instead of by faith. I mean, when the devil says this in verse, um, let's see, God has said, notice in verse 3, God's, uh, Eve is speaking, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Now, God had said that if they ate of it, they would die. That should have been it. End of the conversation. Now, some people find fault with Eve because she added to the word of God by saying, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. But now, personally, I wonder if she really added to the Word of God or if she's just repeating what Adam said. Because, you see, you go back to chapter 2, and you find when God gave the command, Eve had not even been created yet. So how did she know to even say, neither shall ye touch it? I think Adam probably said to her, said to his wife, it says, we can't eat of that. Matter of fact, don't even touch it lest we die. Now, I'm just supposing here, okay? And I'm telling you, I'm supposing. Either way, he added to it, but you've got to admit, had they not touched it, there'd have been no problem. Because in order to eat it, they had to touch it. So if they just let it go, everything would have been all right. But you see, she started living by sight. Instead of by faith, by faith, we trust God's word. God says, don't do it. He's got a reason. That's good enough for me. And so I'm not going to do it. But notice what she does. It says in verse six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes. Now that's interesting. That tree is, it's got a lot of food on it. It's good for food. It'll grow a lot of food. It's not like they were having a population shortage, worried about food. What difference does it make if it was good for food? It looks good. 
And then she says, it's pleasant to the eye. You know, it's pleasing to look at that tree. But God had said, if you eat it, you die. That should have been enough. Shouldn't that have been enough? She's considering this thing. And then she says, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, I don't know how she got that. I could see where you could look at a tree and say, you know, that's, that's pleasant to the eye. And boy, it's got a lot of fruit on it. But how can you tell by looking at a tree whether it's something to make you wise? Wisdom would have said, obey God. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. But she is trusting her own sight. You know, when somebody comes to the preacher who preaches hard against sin uh, and says, well, I don't see what's wrong with it. I'm sorry, that doesn't impress me a bit. Eve didn't see what was wrong with it, but you and I now have to die because she didn't see what was wrong with it. Your kids will have to die. Your grandchildren will die. Uh, Your great-grandchildren will die. Death and misery throughout the world. And it's all because she did not take God at his word. She's considering what she considers to be the benefits. The Bible says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. By faith says, God is right. That's why my last verse, Psalm 119, 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Preacher, I don't see what's wrong with it. God says it, that's enough. Now I know there are some people that think that God sat up in heaven and thought, uh, let's see, what would man like to do? I'm going to outlaw it. Whatever he'd like to do, I want to make his life miserable. I want to make his life a drudgery. So whatever he'd like to do, I'm just going to outlaw it. That's not the God of the Bible. The things that he outlaws, he knows best. He knows the outcome from it all, especially dealing with sinful man. And so whatever he outlaws or whatever he commands us to do, it is always for our good. You can count on it. But then notice also, here's another mistake that she made. She included others in her sin. For the Bible says in the next verse, uh, let's see, well, in verse 7, verse 6 is what I want. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave notice and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Nobody likes to sin by themselves. It seems like everybody, they just feel more comfortable if somebody else will do it with them. And so they always try to get some people on their side to help them out. Now, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all of sin. Who ate first? Did she die when she ate? Now, wait, don't answer that too quickly. Because sin did not come through woman. Sin came through man. And according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, she was deceived, but the man wasn't. In other words, when the man ate, he knew the consequences. She had been deceived. He wasn't deceived. And Eve is not the federal head. She can't be because Adam was first. Even she came from Adam. 
Adam, according to Romans chapter 5, is the federal head. And it is his sin in eating that brought death into the world. You say, man, that kind of boggles my mind. Well, I got news for you. There are a lot of things that boggle our minds. Do you know how small our minds are? Compared to the size of this planet, yet alone the entire universe? And God created it all with just the word of his mouth. Guess what? We're not going to understand everything. We don't have to. He does, and we trust him because we live by faith. Well, that makes it a whole lot easier, doesn't it? She never thought of the awesome consequences of her sin. And I'll guarantee you that although Adam knew that death would be the result, he was not deceived, but... He didn't understand the tremendous consequences. Oh, he understood personally it would mean death. But that death would pass upon all men and there would be so much tragedy and heartache and loss. I don't believe he saw it. I don't believe he considered it. People don't even consider it today. And yet the scripture says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 7, the Bible says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. When you decide to sin, you affect other people. Whether you like it or not. Well, it's my life. I can do with it what I want. But what you do affects other people. And you hurt people who aren't making the decision to walk contrary to God's word. Now we see Eve's mistake in the Bible. How about here's another one. Abraham made the mistake of not taking Lot with him. In Genesis, I mean, I'm sorry, of taking Lot with him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, the scripture says this. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham, or Abram, departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Now notice this. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. Now God told them to leave the land. First of all, he told them to leave the land of Ur of the Chaldees. He left. And he was to leave his family. But his father, Haran, went with him. He's going to die later on. And Lot also went with him. After Haran died up in Haran, then Abraham took his household and his brother's son, Lot, took him with him down through the promised land. And he kept going all the way down into Egypt where he lied about his wife. Now, God spared him. God rescued him. But in Genesis chapter 13, he comes back up to the promised land. And now there are problems 
between Lot and his herdsmen and Abraham or Abram and his herdsmen. Now, you say, why, with Lot being brought up in such a good home as Abram's, why is it that there were such problems between them? Lot shouldn't have been there in the beginning. Abram was to leave his family, not his wife, not those that were of his right household right there, but his family. He took his dad with him, first of all, which he shouldn't have done. God doesn't let him even go to the promised land until after dad dies and Abram keeps moving. And by the way, I personally believe his salvation is in chapter 15 and verse 6 because that's what Paul says and that's what Paul quotes from when he talks about Abram's salvation being of faith in Romans chapter 4 and verses 3 through 5. You can disagree with me on that and still be saved. That's okay. Uh, but everybody's got a right to be wrong about something, all right? But, but God had said, don't carry your family. So we find him in chapter 13 separating, and it's Lot who makes the choice. Now, that's an interesting thing because God commanded Abram to go to a particular place. And I believe probably it had been the right thing for Abram to say, now here's the land up here that God gave me. You can go anyplace else. But he doesn't do that either. I'm just simply saying, Abram was a great man. He's quoted as being the father of the faithful over and over and over again in the scripture mentioned throughout the New Testament, mentioned in the Old Testament. But nobody is perfect but the Lord Jesus Christ. And God records for us where his people make mistakes. The truth is, in not separating from his family like he should have, he was putting his family before God. Now, Jesus says more about that in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. When God's will is clear, any consideration to alter it is wrong. When it comes, for instance, to go to the mission field and you take your family and children, you do the will of God. It doesn't matter if others understand or not. You just do the will of God. We've got, as you know, several missionary families out of our church on the mission field. Hey, God calls you for that. You go. And I know some people don't like, since I'm mentioning things that people don't agree with, uh, this is fine. But, you know, when God called me to preach, he never did call my wife. She was my wife. Her job was to go where I went. Well, I believe I need my wife's call in order to go to the mission field. No, he calls you. That ought to be enough. And your wife is to go with you. By the way, she's never been called to preach. Amen. (laughs) Not going to happen. Not going to (laughs) happen. Let me show you mistake number three here. Go over to the book of uh, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. This time it's godly Moses who makes a mistake. God's been using him to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. Of course, these people, they're known for their complaining over and over and over again. And you know, leaders finally get sick and tired of some of the complaining that goes on. That happened in Moses. If you look at verse 7, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. 
and it shall give forth as water, and thou shalt bring forth them uh, to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation, and there be strength. Now, God's command is really fairly simple. You can break the thing down. It's clear. Take the rod, gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, speak to the rock in front of them before their eyes, and it, the rock, shall give forth water, and thou shalt bring forth them water out of the rock. Now, fairly simple. Don't need a long instruction booklet for this. Notice verse 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord. He's all right so far, as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. He's still doing fine. He's got it down. He's ticking them off. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. I love that verse. (laughs) Brother Nelson, what pastor hadn't wanted to say that a time or two? You know what I mean? Here now, ye rebels. Notice this. Must we fetch water out of this rock? Who is he referring to? It's like he's referring to himself and Aaron, his brother. Wait. And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod, and he smote the rock twice. Where was that in the instructions? And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. Now, to me, one of the amazing things about this whole story is the fact that God gave them water even though Moses didn't do it right. Wow, what a great God. That's mercy and grace right there. But there's going to be a cost. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel... Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Now, there was no place in the instructions where Moses was told, don't smite the rock. The instructions clearly said, speak to the rock. He's not even speaking to the rock. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the people. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? Moses wasn't going to bring water out. God was going to bring water out. And because of that, neither Moses nor Aaron are going to be allowed into the promised land. As good as what Moses had been, I mean, there have already been a few times in this journey through the wilderness where because he prayed, the children of Israel were still alive. Back in the book of Exodus, you remember in Exodus chapter 32, when Aaron had helped lead the children of Israel into idolatry. And while Moses was up in the mount praying, God would have destroyed all of them and make of Moses a great nation. But Moses prayed. Over and over again. But finally, and this is not to excuse Moses because God surely does not excuse Moses. Finally, Moses has had enough. And he wants these rebels to hear something from him. And God says, that's it, Moses. You're not going to get to go in. Aaron, you're not going to get to go in. You see... Yes, 
It was a rock. Now, that, he smote the rock. Smiting the rock didn't hurt the rock, so what's the big deal? I just want you to think with me for a moment. It's a rock. Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the rock that followed them was Christ. And the reality is, he smote Christ twice. You see, he had already hit the rock one time, the first time when he was told to hit the rock. This was many years before. And God commended him for that. Christ was only smitten once, and that's all that was needed. His one smiting at Calvary was it. One sacrifice for sin forever. You see, doing what he did, he missed the great picture for Israel of what God was going to do through the Messiah. Now you say, what? You surely can't expect Moses to understand the picture. Nobody should understand plain words. Speak to the rock. And he didn't do it. You know, God means what he says. He means it exactly as he says it. And the scripture warns us in James chapter 1 that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You better be careful when you get angry. Things will come out of your mouth that you'll regret the rest of your life. You get angry and words will come out of your mouth that hurt and sting people for the rest of their lives. You remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie. Words can destroy you. Better be careful about what words you have come out of your mouth. People have been destroyed by other people's words. So Moses, great mistake. Mistake number four. Saul made the mistake of thinking partial obedience was okay with God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God tells Saul to get the army together and tells Saul to go out, first king of Israel, and to kill all the Amalekites because of how they had treated Israel when Israel was being led to the promised land out of Egypt. So he gets the army together. He was to destroy everything the Amalekites had. He went out, he killed most of them, and killed most of the Uh, the, the cows and the sheep and the oxen and other things that they had, but he brought the best back for sacrifice. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You need to remember, God sees everything you do. He hears everything you say. He knows you. He knows everything about you. In verse 3, he said, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Well, in verse 6, it says, And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. Verse 7, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Whoa. Utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but not Agag. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. 
But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel. Samuel the seer, notice, God says to Samuel, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me. Notice God's testimony concerning Saul. He has turned back from following me. Next statement. And hath not performed my commandments. So you go down. Verse 12, when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. Behold, he set him up a place and has gone out and passed on and gone now to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said, Blessed be thou the Lord. Now notice what Saul says. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. What had God said? God said, he's not obeyed my commandments. He's turned aside from following me. And Saul says, I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord. Liar! Liar! It's what he is. Now Saul, the man of God, doesn't let him get away with that. In verse 14, and Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Oh, Saul says, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now the conversation continues on with the rest. No, no. No, no. God said destroy them all. And God said destroy all the spoil. They've got Agag the king there. They've got the best of the spoil they brought back, and he makes it sound like they did that to sacrifice. Verse 21, And the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief things which they had been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord God in Gilgal. Oh, we're going to sacrifice this to God. Notice the next verse, a key verse. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. God wants our obedience. He wants our complete obedience. You see, we need to learn that good reasoning to us doesn't, does not allow for disobedience to God. We need to learn sacrifice does not make up for disobedience. And we also need to learn that you may lose what you value most by incomplete obedience. For in the next verse we find he loses the kingdom. It's all taken from him. Because he thought 99% obedient was okay to God. And 99% obedience is not okay with God. He wants his people to be obedient to him. Let me give you another mistake. And this is a terrible mistake. Go over to John chapter 1. Oh, there are more than just the few that I'm mentioning this morning. Obviously, God records a lot of them. They're not his mistakes. They're mistakes that people made. And God accurately records their mistake. Notice verses 11 and 12. It says of Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What was their mistake? What was the Jews' mistake? They didn't recognize Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. 
You see, Jesus is the only Savior. There is no other Savior that God has provided. If you want to go to heaven when you die, you could be a church member, you can be baptized, you could be, try to be spiritual, give money to religious causes, give money to the poor and the blind, spend your whole life living a Mother Teresa life, but die without the Messiah and you burn in hell for eternity. God had told his people he was sending a Messiah. His, the Messiah would come and would die for them at Calvary's cross. For the Bible tells us he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we were healed. That's a testimony against them that at his birth, some people who were from Babylon, who were not even Jews, recognized the sign of the star. And they came looking for the one that was born king of the Jews. But all the Jews in the Holy Land, they're too busy going about their business and they missed his coming. And instead of receiving him as a nation, they ended up rejecting him, putting him on the cross of Calvary. And how many people today in Madison, Alabama, they're going through their life. They may even claim to be Christians, but they have never by faith Turn from their sin to Jesus Christ and trust him as their savior. And just like those Jews in Jesus' day, they will die lost and burn in a sinner's hell forever. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus told the Jews in John chapter 8 and verse 24, He says, ye shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sin. Jesus told some Jews that were around him in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 39. He said, search the scripture, for in them, the scripture, ye think ye have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Over and over again, the word of God had pronounced his coming, had given the signs of his coming, all of that, and they missed it to die rejecting the son of God that God had provided for them. What a sad state of affairs. And in America, where, man, the Bibles by the millions are all over this country. Think of all the different gospel broadcasts. I know there's a lot of cultish broadcasts on TV, but think of on radio, TV, internet, how many, how many times the gospel is preached every day. To die and go to hell because you didn't take Christ as Savior, would you be so foolish? When if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you can have eternal life, you can have it today. We'll give you one other mistake and then I'll close. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. As you know, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, it was with the promise that he was coming back. Bible says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. If you'll notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, The scripture says in verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, 
All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers mocking the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. And it could happen today. It's amazing. I've heard Baptists even mocking. And I'm a Baptist, but I've heard Baptists mocking. Oh, people say, Jesus is coming back. Jesus, and mocking that. That's just the fulfillment of the scripture. When Baptists mock the coming of Jesus, buddy, I'll tell you, there's a lot of Baptists in trouble with God. They deny the second coming, and in this passage, they deny creation. They deny the flood. They deny the obvious while they swallow stupidity. And that's where they're at. Yeah. You know, mankind has been full of mistakes. And God, for the ones he's written about, has accurately recorded exactly what they were. And he's done that for us. So guess what? We have no excuse. He put this in the book. He gave it to us. So we are without excuse. So friend, first of all, if you don't have heaven settled, you need to get it settled today. Don't make the horrible mistake of walking out of this building without Jesus. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe on him, you get eternal life. He's written these things so that we can know that we have eternal life. You need to come to Christ today if you're lost. Christian, we need to walk according to this book. We, have a, we need to have a testimony of living by the faith in God's word that what God says about everything, God's exactly right about it. And where we've got things in our life that are contrary to what God tells his people, we ought to be quick to walk an old-fashioned aisle, get down before at an altar and cry out to God, God, forgive me, I have, I have disobeyed you. There's victory in lives that will do that. The Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. It's a sad thing, Lord, that some today will make some of the very same mistakes that you recorded in your word that people before have made. Now, Lord, today, save the lost, I pray. And I know you want to. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Lord, I pray today there'd be some folks come to Jesus some Christians would get right with you and not spend another day outside of fellowship with you. God, please have your will and your way in every life. For I ask it in Jesus' name.